What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three men that fall in love every time we hear Nicolas Cage's sultry voice with nothing better to do. I'm Matt Johnson, and I think Face Off is, well, the peak of cinema. I'm Keith Baker, and I wish John Voight was in this. And I'm Austin Terry, and believe it or not, I own a DVD copy of Bangkok Dangerous. God, I'll never forget what that DVD cover looks like. Just Nick Cage with the saddest wig I've ever seen, just <laughs> staring at you. <laughs> Growing up, Austin just had a big, clear tub full of DVDs. There was no real rhyme or reason to what you would find in there, but by golly, every time we looked through it, Bangkok Dangerous was somehow always on top. <laughs> it's because I was watching it all the time. I just kept putting it back. I hate that movie. <laughs> Yeah, it's the best title of any movie he's ever been in, maybe with the exception of this one. But of <laughs> course, uh, if you didn't catch it by now, I think you might know from that. But on today's show, we are discussing the new Nicolas Cage meta action comedy, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. But before we get to that, I want to know, we already kind of teased it a little bit, but what's your favorite Nicolas Cage movie? Well, it is not Bangkok Dangerous. Um, I think I have to go with the childhood classic National Treasure. Ooh. Then I would also give special shout outs to Joe and Kickass. Uh, yeah, I think I'm with Austin. National Treasure is probably one of my favorites, even though I used to watch Next a lot, too, for some weird reason. And I guess The Rock is kind of up there, but I think National Treasure will take it. Yeah, I would go with the classics. I mean, Adaptation, where he plays twin screenwriters, that's a classic. Face Off, you can't really go wrong when John Travolta and Nicolas Cage are forced to swap bodies in a movie and then for the rest of the film have to do impressions of each other. Beautiful, beautiful art. I also throw out Lord of War. And if you want a recent favorite, uh, they talked about, I feel like the same way people are talking about this movie. I think Cage got a lot of praise last year for Pig, which was another serious take. A great movie, great story. So yeah, tons of good Nick Cage movies out there. And plenty more bad ones. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually the perfect segue, Austin, uh, to get into the unbearable weight of massive talent, because I'm going to say it. I'm not being hyperbolic here. And I'll drop the statement, and then I'll back it up. So I don't think you guys will agree with me, but I think you'll at least go, okay, I guess I see what he's saying. But is he the best? I don't know. But Nicolas Cage is my favorite actor, because you know what? You have your greats. You have Robert De Niro out there. You have Al Pacino out there. You have Meryl Streep. I get it. They're all great, but you know what? When they're in a bad movie... They look like they know they're in a bad movie. But my guy, Nick Cage, when he's in a good movie, he's on. When he's in a bad movie, <laughs> he doesn't know it because he is <laughs> fully committed. He did a movie called Willie's Wonderland a couple years ago where he doesn't say a single word the whole movie. He just goes to a Chuck E. Cheese. All the animatronics come alive and he has to kill them all. That's the entire movie. He doesn't say a word the entire time. He's a committed actor, everybody. He <laughs> may be committed. I would also say uh, crippling debt is a great motivator. Oh, another great segue, Austin, because Nicolas Cage, while he was on the rise, I would say, in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, this guy couldn't miss. He won his Oscar for leaving Las Vegas, and this guy was just on fire. And then... He just couldn't stop buying castles. I know, it's a classic mistake. He couldn't stop buying property. He bought an entire pyramid mausoleum that I guess he could be buried in in New Orleans when he died. He literally bought the murder house in New Orleans that American Horror Story is based off of. Yeah, yeah I think he bought it like a dinosaur skull or something, which I think he confirmed recently, which is insane. So he got into debt, started doing a bunch of shitty movies. Again, the guy's committed. But whenever they announced a little movie called The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, which has a familiar premise. You know, Nicolas Cage 
is playing an actor a little bit down on his luck. He's done a few too many bad movies in a row. He might be struggling a little bit, and he just needs a paycheck. And oh, he's playing a character named Nick Cage. I was, of course, extremely excited. A little meta Nick Cage commentary. Throw in Pedro Pascal. Throw in some fun action. Throw in some laughs. Throw in some references. I was on board. Now, guys, I don't want to wait any longer. I want to get into this. You guys know how I feel about Nicolas Cage. I know, Keith, I think you at least like him. Austin, I think, I don't know how you feel about him. I think there's, I think there's a begrudging respect you have for him, but I don't <laughs> think you're a big fan. But regardless, I don't want to waste any more time, guys. We all saw it. Give me your non-spoiler thoughts to start us off on the unbearable weight of massive talent. Yeah, I'm just going to come right out and say I didn't like the unbearable weight of massive talent. Um, <laughs> I think this movie is tailor-made for somebody like my friend Matt, who loves Nick Cage, knows a ton about his career, knows his hits, knows his flops. If you're that person, uh, you're absolutely going to love the unbearable weight of massive talent. There were those people in my theater, and they were loving it. Uh, for someone like me, who I respect his work, but I don't really get the fascination with Nick Cage as an actor or a person. For me, this movie just didn't work. Um, I felt like it relied too much on just the idea of, let's get Nick Cage to play a character of himself, and then it never goes any deeper than that. I thought Pedro Pascal was great, and the chemistry was great, but overall, for me, I was wanting just more from the story beyond the premise of Nick Cage is going to play a caricature of himself, and it never got deeper than that for me. Um, so overall, for me, it was a bit of a snooze fest, but I can totally see why people who love Nick Cage would enjoy this movie. So for that aspect, I would still recommend it. I agree with a lot of what you said. I, I think I'm kind of half and half on that. I definitely think this movie was geared towards big Nick Cage fans. I, I would not consider myself a big Nick Cage fan, but I do respect Nick Cage. And I think it's, I've always thought it was hilarious. Like what we just, what we just talked about that he did a bunch of like B movies and he did them like with all seriousness, which always cracked me up. And it, it was, I thought it was funny the whole time. I had a good time with it. It was a very short movie. I remember when it ended, I was like, oh, that's it? <laughs> it only lasted like an hour and like 15 or 20 minutes. It felt like, it reminded me of some other movies that I'll mention later on. Would I say it's like a great movie, one of his best movies? I don't know. I'd have to go back and watch more of Nick Cage movies. With him and uh, Pedro Pascal playing Javi, I think they were just a really funny duo, a really unlikely duo. I would never thought Pedro Pascal would be teamed up with Nicolas Cage, but I think they did a good job as far as the comedy goes. And so I had a good time. So that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I really love the movie. I had a great time. I think I hear everything you guys are saying. Sure, I think a movie like this will be even more enjoyed by somebody that has a fascination or a love or has seen a lot of Nick Cage movies like myself. But honestly, the thing that I can, I guess maybe the best thing I can say about the movie is the thing that I liked beyond that, the thing that I liked beyond all the references and anything like that is it's just a story that I felt had a lot of heart kind of mixed in with the comedy. So it's kind of like a traditional, it's like a mix of like a rom-com and like a buddy duo comedy type movie. It's like all those classic movies from the 90s, early 2000s, they just squish them together and you kind of get that 50-50 feeling of, oh, there's kind of like some, you know, heart string tugging moments like with his daughter and with his family. And then like later on with his relationship with Javi that I thought was great. Um, and then there's just some really funny like laugh out loud moments that for me didn't necessarily rely on references or anything like that. I thought the action was fun. So yeah, I, I think I relate to what Keith is saying there. Is this like a top tier movie? Is it like a top three Nicolas Cage movie or anything like that? No, I wouldn't say so, but I just thought it was such an enjoyable watch that I would recommend it to anybody 
That being said, maybe you won't get all the references. And it sounds like maybe for somebody like Austin, that was a bit more of a detractor. But I still think you'll be able to kind of dig a little bit deeper and find kind of the emotional moments, the funny moments. And by the end, I think it turned out to be a good story. So yeah, I I really, really enjoyed it. I had a blast. So yeah, I loved it. I think the main reason why this one isn't working for me is because I would say 60% of the jokes probably rely on some sort of knowledge of Nicolas Cage's career. And all of those are the jokes that fell flat for me. The, the jokes that just involve like Nicolas Cage and Pedro Pascal playing off of each other, those jokes worked and got a few chuckles out of me. But for the majority of the movie, relying on this Nicolas Cage comedy and some knowledge of his career, a lot of that fell flat and just overall kind of tampered down my enjoyment of the film. That's fair. I get it. I guess the last thing I would say before spoilers is, to me, I don't know how far you guys are going in this direction. First and foremost, this one for me is like a... You know what I mean? It's not a cop movie, but it's a buddy cop movie. You know, the reason to go see this movie, you both independently mentioned it, is because of the character relationship and like the developing chemistry between Nicolas Cage and Pedro Pascal, a very unlikely duo, like you guys said. I mean, they're the reasons to see it. They're both great. Pedro Pascal, it's it's nice to see him just have fun with the character. We don't get to see him a lot uh, playing fun characters. And uh, yeah, it was nice to see them let loose. I mean, they're the reasons to go see it. Like the friendship they form is kind of the heart of the movie, I felt like. I would agree with that. I would too. All right. So like we said there, uh, it's time to get deeper into the unbearable weight of massive talent. I don't know. I guess before we go into spoilers, guys, um, just a final word, like, would you recommend going to see this? I know we all have varying degrees of like knowledge of Nick Cage and that seemed to inform our enjoyment of the movie. But like, would you recommend people see this in theaters or should they wait for it to come to streaming or, you know, rent it or whatever? I would say if you're a fan of Nicolas Cage, absolutely go see it. Um, if you're really only familiar with National Treasure like myself, then probably skip this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say either or. I mean, if you have nothing else to do and you want to go to the movie go see it. It's a quick hour and 20 minute movie. But like Austin said, if you're not a big Nick Cage fan, you know, you won't really understand the references and you probably could skip it and just watch it later on streaming. Um, I know, sorry, I, keep, I know I keep delaying the spoiler territory, but I guess people out there that want to know our thoughts, you get a little extra goodness. But now that I'm hearing your guys's takes for the first time, even though Keith and I saw it together, we didn't talk about it too, too much. But um, since you guys are a little bit lower on it than me, and you don't have as much knowledge before we transition here, would you say, despite that, do you think there was enough of like that kind of budding friendship between Nick Cage and Pedro Pascal? Like, do you think that's enough for maybe a general audience to go into a movie like this and get something out of it? Or do you think that's kind of not enough? I think there's enough of the Cage and Pedro Pascal relationship there. For me, there's just not enough of an interesting story. Um, all okay. of like the big reveal moments of the movie, I predicted in the beginning, like in my head. Yeah. And so a lot of it felt very predictable. The meta-ness, I don't think, helps the actual plot of the story in this one. It just makes it more predictable to me. So if, if you're someone that really needs a story to carry you through a film, I don't think you're going to find that here. If you just want a good comedy, I would go see it. That's what I took away from it. I just laughed a lot and had a good time. So with that, everybody, if you have not seen The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, go check it out uh, and then come on back because we're about to get into spoilers and we don't want to spoil you on this magnificent piece of art. Uh, But that's just my opinion. So, yeah, come on back after you see it. We'll be waiting for you. All right, everybody, welcome to Spoiler Territory. As always, my good friends and co-hosts, Austin and Keith, kick us off. Tell me about the cast and crew. 
All right, so The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent is directed by Tom Gormican, who is most well known for that awkward moment in Ghosted. It's also written by Gormican and Kevin Etten. Uh, Etten is known for David Letterman, Workaholics, Scrubs, and Desperate Housewives. And finally, our score is composed by Mark Isham, who you may know from Point Break, Warrior, and Blade. And going into our cast, we have Nicolas Cage as Nicolas Cage. And we got the Mando himself, Pedro Pascal as Javi, Sharon Horgan as Olivia Henson, Tiffany Haddish as Agent Vivian, Ike Barinholtz as Agent Martin, and we got Paco Leon as Lucas Gutierrez, and Neil Patrick Harris as Richard Fink, Nicolas Cage's agent. All right, guys, there's our cast and crew. Any positives, any negatives, what do you got? I think I'm going to give my negative to the writers. Ah! <laughs> Not for the jokes, but for the meta nature of the script. We're definitely going to get into this later. The second the character of Lucas Gutierrez gets introduced, I was like, that guy's running the organization. The second they start writing a screenplay together, I was like, oh, there's going to be a moment where the camera pulls back and they're on a film set. Both of those things happened. They were like the crux of the movie. And I was like, wow, this is so predictable. My negative is the writers. I have a lot of questions about the Lucas character. Like, it would have been much harder to have Javi actually be this gunrunner, this arms dealer or whatever. And then still make him like kind of a fun character to root for that you want to be friends with Nick Cage by the end. That's what I wanted. Yeah, I didn't expect them to do that. But I would say my least favorite part of the movie is the Lucas reveal because it just like it felt too far in the direction of, oh, we're just wiping Javi's hands. Like and then they they even have to have dialogue where Javi's like, no, look, I, I just chose to be the figurehead of the organization. I'm not doing anything bad. I was like, we didn't have to go that far. <laughs> uh, I guess I'll shout out. Pedro Pascal as Javi. I thought he was hilarious in this. I really, I think he really made this movie for me. I don't know if I would have enjoyed it as much if, if he wouldn't have brought his comedic effects to it. Because, like I said, I, I recognize you know about half of the Nick Cage references, but the other half I didn't. So if, if we didn't have the the Javi uh, comedy in it, I don't know if I would have enjoyed it as much. But I think Pedro Pascal nailed it. Pedro Pascal's smile alone is enough to get you in the theaters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were laughing a lot like at the individual references and like some of the other jokes, but I think the part that made the entire theater laugh the loudest was when they're on LSD and driving and in slow motion, Pedro Pascal just turns <laughs> to the screen smiling. <laughs> it looks so goofy. That was my favorite part of the movie, honestly, is the LSD scene. Yeah, that was good. That was good. Um, yeah, guys, you've offended me for the last time. Um, I'm picking my highlight positive or negative last. And I have to say Nicolas Cage. I've said it a million times already. He's my favorite part of the movie. But I will do the little cheat here. I, like I said, I mean, the reason to go see this is Nicolas Cage and Pedro Pascal's chemistry. So them combined never would have put that one together in my head. They're the reason to watch it. Um, I think the cast as a whole is pretty good. I mean, some characters get more screen time than others. I think the performances are all fine. But yeah, some of like the Ike Barinholtz character who just weirdly like dies off screen. And then like you see his body later and it's like, is that him? And it's like, oh, I so guess it weird. Is. It's it a weird a choice. Very weird scene. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then like we said, uh, Lucas is kind of a strange forced in villain, but all the performances are fun. So, you know, enjoy this cast. Good ensemble. And you know what? I'm doing a second negative. Tiffany Haddish, you're overacting in this movie and I did not like it. <laughs> All right, guys, it's time to get a little bit deeper. Let's get into our roundtable discussion and break this all down. I guess I'll start us off. I know I've already talked about a little bit of this, but now that I know you guys didn't like it quite as much as me, maybe we can get some good conversation here. So for me, first and foremost, like I said, this movie is full of heart. I thought it was funny. It had some exciting action, albeit in a goofy way. 
and just gave me a super enjoyable time in the theaters, more so than anything else I've seen in the theaters this year. I know we haven't, you know, seen a lot of new stuff yet, but still up there. Um, so did this work for you on all fronts and tell me why it didn't like because, like I said, it tugged at the heartstrings for me at times, made me laugh out loud and I enjoyed the explosions as much as the next guy. So like whenever they try to combine these genres together, what specifically didn't work for you? It sounds like I know the comedy may have not worked, but like kind of did the more emotional moments work? Was the action fun enough or did those kind of fall flat as well? The relationship between Pedro Pascal and Nick Cage is still a highlight for me. That totally worked. Their comedy of playing off of each other and some of the improv stuff when they're like high on LSD and all that, I found all that stuff super enjoyable. The movie never really ventured into the territory of heartwarming for me, uh, mainly because I just really didn't care about the family story in this. Um, mm. Like I said, I'm not invested in, in Nick Cage, the person or the actor. So seeing a down on his luck Nick Cage struggling with his family life just I don't have any relatability there. So for me, I wasn't really bought into that story. I don't feel like his arc is very earned in this movie either because he goes on vacation with a rich billionaire and then that changes him. Like, how does that really lead to character growth? He's not like he's really struggling with anything there. It's kind of just he gets forced into this situation with Pedro Pascal's character. And then, like I said, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but the jokes revolving around Nicolas Cage's career also just didn't work for me. So the only highlight I can really give for the movie is the chemistry between Nick Cage and Pedro Pascal. Hearing you talk about Austin, like the family stuff didn't work for you. That's interesting because for me, I mean, was it great? No, I don't I, I don't think so. But I thought it worked for the purposes of the story, like seeing just like removing the Nick Cage element just for a second, because that ties into the point. Just seeing like an actor that's down on his luck. He's kind of, you know, an, an older guy. He has an ex-wife. He has not a young kid at this point, like an older daughter and he keeps trying to do the right thing but he keeps fucking it up like he does love them but he's just a little bit too i suppose because he's like he used to be on top of the world and is now kind of down in the dumps he, he's trying to do things to boost his ego even though i don't think he realizes it and that's kind of pushing his family further and further away and then when they're kind of like unknowingly brought into the movie in the third act i thought that led to some nice moments seeing him actually try and make up for things which leads to the final scene where they kind of reunite as a family and like, you know, she keeps talking about the things that he, as her dad, like kept doing that she didn't like. And they do something for her for once. They just watch a movie that, of course, Paddington 2, uh, <laughs> which tied back into an earlier moment. So the reason I said I, I wanted to separate from the Nick Cage thing is like, like I said, like I thought the family stuff worked super well for the movie. I thought it kind of informed it and I really enjoyed it. But do you think in a weird way, the fact that it is this meta story about Nicolas Cage playing Nick Cage like is that why it didn't work for you or was there just not enough family stuff like does that make sense like did the meta nature kind of like ruin that somehow I will say right off the bat I think the meta nature does hurt the film just in general for me though too with the family stuff removing Nick Cage from the conversation the only reason he really has those growth moments in the third act is because he's scared for his life and at that point he's scared of Javi and scared that Javi might kill his family so he's kind of for me, it felt like he was faking the growth just so they could get back to writing the screenplay so he could get out of the situation. So I just okay. didn't feel like those moments were very earned for the character of Nick Cage in this movie. Okay, I got you. I got you. Um, and then the other thing before we guess we move on here, because I don't know if we're going to talk about it too much later, because the movie, I think they do a good enough job of setting it up, but they never try and like make it a big plot point, which I think was probably for the best. But um, we are introduced, guys, via CG. Uh, to Nikki, who is a young version of Nicolas Cage, who is haunting the current version because he's much more successful and supposedly handsome, as he points out. So 
did that stuff work for you guys? Like seeing an actual physical embodiment of a successful version of himself. Uh, did that work? Again, I know we've already talked about now Adonisium, like the references may have gone over your head, but this was just like, I thought a simple version of like, oh, here's a, a successful version and a younger version of me. Did you guys like that stuff or was there not enough of it to really make an impact? Yeah, I'm going to take us back to our cast and crew talk because my highlight for the movie is Nicolas Cage as Nicky Cage. <laughs> he was so good. <laughs> yeah, I liked it. <laughs> it's funny. His hair cracked me up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I kind of wish there had been more of him in the film, honestly. Like, every time he popped up, I was laughing my ass off. I was, I, like I said, yeah, I, I think maybe it would have made the movie not as good if it had gone on too long, but I, I was missing Nikki every time. <laughs> I was wanting more of him. <laughs> So I've already said that the Nicolas Cage kind of references to his career didn't work for me in this one. But for you two, as kind of fans and having a bit more knowledge of Nicolas Cage's career, I want you each to give me one highlight of a Nick Cage joke that really worked for you in this film. Mm, that's a good question, because I could barely remember any of them. I think <laughs> <laughs> there was one about National Treasure, but I can't remember what it was. Whenever he walks into the bunker... Because Nick Cage thinks that he's about to find the kidnapped girl. And then it turns out just to be like his like man cave full of Nick Cage stuff. And like the first thing you see when the lights go on is a national treasure poster. <laughs> um, for me, it was just like the random stuff. Like whenever they introduce his ex-wife and it's like, how'd you meet? And he's like, well, she was the makeup artist on Captain Corelli's Mandolin. I was like, what the fuck? Like what a random movie to bring up. But the main one that worked was just... Them walking into Javi's bunker, seeing in full form uh, the bust or the wax figure, I guess you would say, of Nicolas Cage as Caster Troy from Face Off, the seminal film. And I like that it actually became more of like a physical joke because they had the two golden guns. He was like, oh, those are the actual guns. And then like at different points throughout the third act, like Nick Cage has to use the guns and Javi has to use the guns. I was like, OK, that's pretty fun. I wasn't laughing at it, but I just thought that was like a fun reference that turned into an actual like usable thing in the end i, I do like whenever he, he offers him 20 20 grand for it's it grotesque. and then he's just like <laughs> it's not for sale <laughs> yeah, <I'm sorry. laughs> okay well i mean i mentioned it earlier to you guys i mean this movie kind of has a similar theme to some other comedic movies the interview big fat liar and tropic thunder did you guys like that it kind of had a similar theme to those kind of comedies or would you rather have something a little bit different yeah i mean the thing i liked about it and again i actually enjoy that there was a movie within the movie aspect i didn't really know that going in like i thought it was just going to be about like nick cage working for the cia but it turns out part of the cover is javi <laughs> submitted a script to nick cage like before the movie began so then that keeps coming up and then it's like oh maybe to like stay here longer i'll bring up the script and like then that turns into like actually trying to make the movie and come up with ideas to that point, I actually did enjoy that the movie was. I mean, it's super simple in its premise, but then it just kind of, you know, grows beyond that, like those other movies that you mentioned. And the idea of like the supposed good person he's meeting is like, uh-oh, maybe now they're bad. But then, of course, by the end, they're good. At this point, is it original? No. So maybe that hurts the movie a little bit to your guys' point. But I enjoyed just the simple nature of the story because what I was there for was just kind of the fun, like, Weird, goofy, emotional moments, the action, the comedy, and of course the references like we've already talked about. So I didn't need, like you guys have both said, I think, like some 
grander story. If they had crafted one and then still infused a lot of these things, who knows? Maybe that would have been more interesting, like an actual CIA thing where Nick Cage has to go on like some weird like mystery caper. Who knows? Maybe that would have been more interesting because there really wasn't any mystery elements here for me. But I, I, I was totally fine with it being a simple story that just had kind of this wild premise attached to it. For me, kind of like what I said with our cast and crew talk is just the movie within the movie nature of it, for me, just really hurt like the predictability of the movie, Um, mainly because like they have the point in the movie where with the screenplay, they're like, we got to change it to where my daughter gets kidnapped. And I was like, oh, his daughter's going to get kidnapped later on the film. And that happened. So it's just like things like that, where they just telegraphed what the future of the movie was going to be. So it took a lot of the surprises out of it for me. When we actually did like pull away and reveal the, the film set. I was excited for like thinking, oh, when is this moment going to happen? And the fact that it happened as like the closing shot of the film was just super weird to me. Like I I wanted that reveal to be earlier in the film. And then like, I thought that would like take the movie to another level of like seeing Nick Cage and Pedro Pascal, like working together on set and stuff like that. Like, I just thought there was going to be a lot more to it. And ultimately it never paid off from what I was expecting. I get where you're coming from. It would have been kind of cool to see some more after that. I did laugh out loud, though, whenever it did just cut to the, the theater and they were clapping and everything like that. It just yeah. it brought me back to Big Fat Liar immediately. It's the exact same thing. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, why are they clapping for that? That was terrible. <laughs> and I enjoyed that reveal for the most part. I just For me, I was like, this is such a weird place to put this because then the next scene is credits and it's like, what like I, I just thought there was going to be so much more to the movie when that reveal happened. Yeah, I don't know for me, like I didn't even really think about like when they were going to pull out and reveal like, oh, now we're in the movie. I did kind of have fun with the element of like, oh, like the previous adventure we've watched our characters go on. Like that's the quote unquote real world. And then here we are at the end of the movie and we get to see kind of. This is already a fictional story. We get to see like an even deeper fictional version, which just turns out to be Demi Moore and Nick Cage in a movie. And it looks like any other movie, but like whenever we were in the real world, it looked kind of different. So I like the elements of it, like going from kind of like this supposedly real, like crazy moment to like, like just like a shitty looking movie that like was trying to dramatize that moment. So I had fun with that, but I was thinking while watching, you guys kind of mentioned it. Um, Maybe it's worth seeing where you guys are at with this, but like, I really enjoyed the element actually of like towards maybe the end of the second act, beginning of the third, wherever it was, like, Javi wasn't getting mad, but it's almost like Javi was, he felt sad for his friend because he idolizes Nick Cage so much, and he just feels that he's kind of creatively bankrupt, which turns out to not be the case. The fun twist on it, like we said, is just that Nick Cage is trying to stall, basically, to find this kidnapped person. So he's just throwing ideas out there for the script that he doesn't really care about. But Javi interprets that wrong. And he's like, well, I have to bring in his family uh, because they have to work their issues. Otherwise, my good friend Nick Cage isn't going to be able to, you know, be the actor or storyteller he needs to be. Like, I thought that was hilarious. But jumping off from that, going into the third act, were you guys hoping that, I don't know, maybe it would have been too predictable when it already was a predictable ending. I agree with you, Austin. But like if Javi, in an effort to like try and help his creatively bankrupt friend, he almost like leans into the villainy and like kidnaps his family like he's not going to kill them but like he just tries to maybe put him in situations that will force something new out of him i don't know maybe we've seen stuff like that before do you know what i mean because it it really just ends up being like oh you know javi's my friend he's on my team we're gonna go take everybody down and then javi's like i'm gonna sacrifice myself for you 
but then he doesn't die and then he shows up at the movie premiere. Like, would you, did you want something different from him after that kind of introduction of like, oh, my friends, like he doesn't have any more ideas. So I'll bring in his family to force like a reunion or some new ideas or redemption out of him or something like that. I actually thought that's kind of where we were headed too, is because we have that whole bit of their skeet shooting. Javi says, you lied to me and is holding the shotgun. And then there's the meta joke of we need our trailer moment. And of course, that's the trailer moment and the actual trailer for the trailer to unbearable way to massive talent. And so I thought we were headed there at that point, because it seems like Javi is catching on in the sense that Nicolas Cage needs him to be a villain in his personal life. So I thought we were headed that direction, too. I think they were just going for a meta joke in that scene because like the lighting changes too to a softer tone and they just like go off to another scene. I think my biggest issue is every time I thought we were headed to like a more interesting version of this movie, they just kind of pulled back and started going for more meta jokes, more jokes about the uh, the career of Nick Cage and ultimately just kind of stalled out for me by the time the credits rolled. Yeah, I mean, I think it would have been cool, I guess, to get something like that where we get Javi as more of an actual villain. Um, but from what we got, like I said, I enjoyed it. Like the LSD scene that cracked me up. One of the LSD Incredible. scenes that cracked me up was the wall scene. Whenever oh, yeah. he's trying to pull him up off the, up over the wall and he's like, go, save yourself, sacrifice yourself. I, I know this is like to Austin's point, they also ruined that in the trailer, but I was I was great. so pissed they ruined I, it in I, the trailer. I, yeah, I was too, but I was grateful that there was an extra element. Like as simple as it was, the fact that he dropped Hoffy again made me laugh out loud. Because in the trailer, of course, they just show him <laughs> dropping him once. The fact that they tried again only for him him to fall <laughs> so funny to me i honestly wonder if we'd be sitting here having a different conversation if i hadn't seen the trailers because all of those scenes made me laugh in the trailers and I, it's, this was actually one of my most anticipated of the year because of the trailers uh so i wonder if we'd have a polar opposite conversation from my end if i hadn't seen any of the marketing maybe that's yeah. why i don't like watching trailers that much because i just don't want to i don't want to ruin things Definitely i've started fair. pulling back on movies i care about i've started taking the keith baker approach for sure <laughs> Yeah, I, I still laughed at all those moments. Maybe it was just like, I, maybe if I like watched it streaming, I wouldn't have. But like kind of being in the theater, being around other people, like it, it was, I was still laughing at the trailer moments. So it worked well enough for me. But I, I do agree with you. I think they did kind of showcase their best moments, unfortunately. I teased it in my opening thoughts, but I had a man in my theater from opening credits to closing credits just cackling cackling at the top of his lungs every single joke if this guy must be the <laughs> biggest nick cage fan on the planet but every single minute restaurant's just <laughs> like he could not stop laughing Wait, that reminds me you can cut this out if you want to because i don't remember if i told you guys this when we saw everything everywhere all at once the, the girl that was sitting next to me oh my god like things that were not even funny she would kept laughing at and she, her laugh was so annoying and she was like clapping every time she was laughing. She'd be like, <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, that wasn't even, a, it wasn't even a comedy part. Like they were, they were just like, they were just like hitting each other or like, there was actually like serious moments too, where they're like talking and she was be like, kind. and she was like, <laughs> like laughing every time. <laughs> like, geez, settle down. Oh God. Whenever uh, the mom is homophobic. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> oh no oh no all right guys so i'm curious uh before we close out i do want to know like are there any scenes that we haven't talked about that like were major standouts maybe in a negative way or you know i also of course in a positive way i mean what haven't we talked about that we need to that the audience needs to hear our thoughts on before we close out and get out of here 
I don't know why, but the scene that genuinely had me belly laughing was Javi and Nick Cage trading shoes with each other. For whatever oh, reason, I, I found that. that so funny. That was so good. <laughs> was and funny. then it's like, should we do both of them? <laughs> <laughs> I think those would look really good on you. I think those would look good on you. And keep in mind, that's the scene where they're literally going to kill each other. <laughs> and the follow-up joke when they're running for cover and Javi says, I think you should do it. You're faster than me. And Nick Cage says, no, I'm not. It's all stunt work. And Javi's like, but I read in the in the extended credits that you did all your own stunt work. And he's like, oh, good point. And then they have to take <laughs> off. That was really funny, too. All, yeah. all the egotistical jokes I thought were really funny. I wish they played into that more in this movie. I guess the scene for me would be with our boy, Neil Patrick Harris. Whenever they're getting the massages and like the, uh, the ladies are like, like banging on him with those weird leaves or whatever <laughs> and he's like hurting and Neil Patrick Harris is like oh my god that feels so damn good <laughs> so fucking good <laughs> then Nick Cage is like oh <laughs> I don't know just the idea of setting up that Nick Cage like almost his go-to conversation is like so what's your favorite movie and then him finally asking Javi that and he kind of seems like he's trepidatious too right because he's getting paid to be at this guy's party and he finally asks him and it's like face off and he's like oh, okay you're like thanks and he's like the cabinet of Dr. Caligari he's like what? you too you're a German expressionist fan like oh and then he's like Paddington too and then like Nick Cage gets offended and then just like I love the editing in this movie they cut out all the fluff it just immediately cuts to them watching it and Nick Cage is crying and just they're back and forth like Paddington 2 is the greatest film ever I told you. <laughs> and then just, I love it. Like, you know, I didn't, I thought this was just like a random joke. Like the writers were like, well, that'll be stupid and funny. But having that almost be kind of the final emotional moment at the end, which I, I hear what you're saying, Austin, talking about like the family stuff kind of felt a little bit forced, mainly because of like the meta script writing of the movie within the movie. So it's like, does he care? Does he not? But regardless, I thought it was a sweet moment at the end that like, they're hanging out, having a good time. They've gone through this crazy adventure. They just watched a movie made about it. And now they're just hanging out at home. And it's like, for once, he's asking her what she wants to watch, which she always complained. Like, we always watch what you want to watch. The Cabin of Dr. Caligari again. <laughs> and then they watch Paddington too. I thought, I thought it was a sweet moment. So I, I really enjoyed kind of the, that reference for just a very random movie. <laughs> I like the line right before that when Nick Cage is like, all right, Javi, stop dicking around and answer the question. What's your third favorite movie of all time? <laughs> third favorite. <laughs> 10 out of 10 movie. I know you guys agree. Probably a solid four. Four? No! <laughs> well, let's close it out. But I want to ask this question. Does this movie imply that Nick Cage is going to make a comeback in real life? He does have a movie on his upcoming projects where he is apparently playing Dracula. So if that's not a comeback role, I don't know what is. Yeah, they're doing like a different take on it. It's apparently going to be like kind of a, I think, leaning more comedy. But yeah, he's playing Dracula, but I guess it's told from the perspective of Renfield, played by Nicholas Holt. So, I mean, that sounds pretty cool. But yeah, I, looking at his IMDb for once, we're not seeing like 30 movies that star nobodies, directed by nobodies. It seems like he's actually kind of back on his feet. Like we said, I, I genuinely feel like he was in the Oscar conversation last year for Pig. Uh, that was a phenomenal movie, a great performance. And this one, even though we all are kind of on varying levels of enjoyment, I mean, it's such a unique movie that regardless if people like it or not, they're going to be talking about this for a long time. Because it's Nicolas Cage who's like kind of looked at as this 
very kind of mysterious and interesting force in Hollywood. And he did a movie where he played himself and it's like a weird action comedy. So I actually think he's making really good choices now. So I think we will see kind of an interesting comeback, hopefully. He barely has three Westerns on his upcoming films. Yeah, hmm. I saw that. What about uh, National Treasure 3? Disney Plus, we need it. The, the story goes that they were going to do a Disney Plus like show called National Treasure. I don't know if it was a sequel or anything, but it was just going to be a show. But they were also working on National Treasure 3. But then they announced that National Treasure 3 is no more. And now it's just the Disney Plus show that apparently Justin Bartha as Riley Poole is coming back for. And look, I like Riley Poole as much as the next guy. That guy discovered Daylight Savings, if you ask me. But if Nick Cage isn't a National Treasure, then honestly, you're offending me. So... I'm canceling my Disney Plus subscription. <laughs> you got to keep it, though, for the Santa Claus TV show. Oh, shit. God, who could Nicholas... What, like, weird creature of uh, fables could Nick Cage play in that? We have the Easter the Bunny, the Tooth... <laughs> Father Time, maybe? Oh, we already have Father Time. God, you fake fan, Keith. Austin nailed it with the Yeti, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> Despite your varying levels of enjoyment... Are you at all interested now in maybe going back and watching some Nick Cage movies that you've either heard are really good or great, or maybe some like the weirder, not so good ones that have a reputation? Like, do you want to go watch any of these now to maybe not only understand the references, but just maybe catch up on stuff that you feel like you've missed? I think in the back half of the year, our schedule opens up a little bit podcast wise. And I think I'm serious about this. I think we should do a Nick Cage bracket. Whoa. You, you said it. We're doing it. I'm sorry. We're doing it. Whoa. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Maybe throwing a wicker man or two to spice things up. Let's close out the way we always do, guys. It's time for the Arnie's Awards Ceremony. This is the part of the show where, of course, we just shout out one thing. Could be a negative thing. Could be a positive thing. Could be anything in between. But it's the one thing we get to praise from the movie that we deem award-worthy. So, Austin and Keith, what you got for me? I'm going to give the WTF writing moment of the year oh! so far award to... The Ike Barinholtz as Agent Martin character in this yeah, film. That's a good why call. was he introduced? Why does he have three lines? And why does he die off screen? I have so many questions. WTF were they thinking with this character? Is that worse than Tommy Doyle in the entirety of Halloween Ends or Kills? Also, I can't remember which one. Uh, no, it's not. This is an in spirit award. At the end of the year, he will have to <laughs> hand this back because Tommy Doyle will okay. get it again for Halloween Ends. Beautiful call. Beautiful call. Uh, my award is going to be the best designated drunk or slash high driver award goes to mr javi or you could say pedro pascal that guy didn't well look nick at the cage road. was driving was he yeah he they says, were both driving no, I, think, no, no. I think he was driving i thought javi was driving whenever he was looking no, i at think you're video. right austin no remember he they told him he had to drive because of his skills in a certain movie and then he immediately rear ends a Okay. Like 18 wheeler or something okay well i thank you for your correction austin <laughs> then it's going to go to nick cage then sorry yeah, javi. thank god yeah Nick Cage, you get the, the best DD award. We'll also give it to Javi, too. We'll send two awards out. I, I don't know if he was driving, but his smile alone in that scene, that slow-mo smile, I think, nets that award to him as well. I'm envisioning at our ceremony, Javi originally getting up, then sitting back down, Nick Cage getting up, and now Javi's also getting back up and walking up to the stage And together. Nick Cage so, says a on weird stage moment. that he shares the award with Javi, and then Javi comes up and they both enjoy the award together. Um... Mine, of course, is a hard one to pass up, guys. I mean, you could call this thing the heart of the film. And I'm ashamed to say, despite going to a school as a young, young boy where this 
Thing was the mascot. I have not seen either Paddington 1 or 2, despite hearing that they are some of like the greatest movies that you'll watch. So my award is for the most anticipated film, and it, it, it's Paddington 2. I have to know if this will be my third favorite movie of all time. I've never seen them either, but it could potentially be our favorite movies episode if we all watch them love it. We'll see what happens. So with that, thank you everybody so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, of course, make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we really would appreciate that so we continue to grow the show. Please leave us reviews as well. Even if you don't feel like writing anything, leaving us a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you ever get your podcasts really does help us out. At The Arnie's is our social, and TheArnie's.media is the website. We'll be back next Tuesday for our return to the MCU with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And last week, we did just put out our thoughts on the new Robert Eggers-directed Viking revenge thriller, The Northman. So if you want to check out our thoughts on that, be sure to go give that a listen on your podcast feed. This is better. Well, <laughs> I knew you were going <laughs> to And lastly, we want to hear from you. So please send us a message on Instagram at the Arnie's or email us thearniesmedia at gmail.com. What did you think of the unbearable weight of massive talent? What is your favorite Nick Cage movie? Anything you say we'll read on the show and react to it live on our latest episode. All right, everybody. Like Austin said, go check out The Northmen. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Lots of new releases. And like we said, we'll be back next time for another big one with Doctor Strange 2. Have a great rest of your week. And guys, I love Nick Cage. I can't say it enough. Can't wait for Nick Cage to make a good movie. No, uh, no.